We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal continue their assault on top four, largely on the basis of being, and this is very important, better than those other clubs. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Pithy. You can bot me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, there's, there's so much discussion at top four, as there should be. It does have a Champions League place on the line, and it is quite important for the future of the club and for our general happiness and competitiveness and all those things. But, you know, the focus on top four is so much about games in hand and who's picking up points and what's happening. But I do think it is important to recognize that we are actually a better team playing better football than those other chumps that would like to finish above us. And I, I for one, don't want to lose sight of that. I also think the only downside of the top four chase is that it is tense, it is urgent, it is important, but maybe just taking attention off being able to live in the moment a little bit, just embrace the moment. Everybody knows that I am one for just living in the here and now, and the here and now Arsenal are a hell of a lot of fun to watch. A hell of a lot of fun to watch. And it is a long time coming. I, I, I have to admit One of my big gripes, one of the reasons I said I was struggling to have patience, I was struggling to trust the process or Austin trusty the process, is that it needed to be entertaining, that people will have more patience when it's entertaining. And right now it is entertaining, but the irony is it's not just entertaining in vain, it is entertaining and winning. So there's really nothing to complain about. I will will try to find something. Because I, you know, I don't want to disappoint the loyal, loyal fans of my complaining, but I think there are people here who have more important things to add. And it is my joy to introduce my podcast brethren, starting with Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pencil. Pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And it says here, Martim Odegaard. Tim is on Twitter at Stobert. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. <clears throat> Look, there is breaking news that perhaps uh, a Saudi Arabian investment group is going to by Chelsea, but don't worry, there's no direct links to the government and they are not at all associated with the Saudi public investment fund that owns Newcastle. And when I say not at all, I mean, they're entirely related and it is extremely corrupt, but let's not worry about that right now. There are, there are other times to go uh, worrying about the future of lesser clubs than by far the greatest team the world has ever seen. And uh, Tim, since we didn't get you on the instant reaction, I Mm. think it is only fair that I let you start the podcast with arguably 
the only real talking point, look, there's a lot to say about this game. I do think that sometimes people start to accuse you of bias, not you, you know, but, but people generally, like you have a bias, you have a player you love that you always want to talk about. And because of that, anytime you talk about the player, it seems like you can't be objective. But like sometimes they are just so good that you have to purr about them. So I know I'm biased. I know it's just where I come from, but we have to talk about the star of the game. Tell me about Gabriel Martin. No, no I'm kidding. Tell, t- <laughs> tell me about Martin. I did, I did a thing there. That was a joke. Uh, no, M- Martin Odegaard is, is doing things on the pitch that make everybody better. And, and, and that was something that Arteta was really eager to point out after the game. And I think, Tim, that when a player is at their absolute best, the best thing you can say about them is they make the team around them better. And I've heard a lot of Ozil comparisons, and I get it. But there's a Fabregasian quality to his energy and his instincts and the ability to come deep and dominate from that position or get right into the box and score. He's, um, he's real, real special right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's the the rising tide that lifts all boats kind of thing. And that's that's what a good creative player does because the really good creative players, and, and Fabregas was great at this, is they recognize the strengths in their teammates and they tailor their kind of service accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's exactly what Erdegaard does, particularly when he drifts over to that right and, and plays with Saka. But I think he's got a really good connection with Thomas Partey as well. And that's that's a very virtuous um, little arm of the team right there, Partey to Erdegaard to Saka. Those are the three guys you really, really want on the ball in this team. Um, and and he's very much, very literally and figuratively in the middle of that. And I think you can just see at the moment that the player is experiencing a kind of a rising confidence and and he's feeling himself and you can see that in the way he delivers the ball at times the dummies the flicks there was um there was a point as well where he, he like feigned to shoot didn't he and then instead just did like a disguised pass over to Saka and and players only do that when they're really confident that that reminded me a little bit of um there was I, I think it was in the last season at Highbury we played Middlesbrough and Henri was out on the right wing and it's impossible to describe this move he did but he like kicked his right leg up as if he was going to cross the ball dummied it and then while his right leg was up in the air just like prodded the ball with his standing foot to Reyes mm-hmm. um to his right and it was just one of those moments where I think we were six we won the game seven nil I think we were six nil up at the time and it was a party trick and it's it's the same type of thing it's just the sort of play the thing that a player does when they're at the top of their confidence and and look yeah I I am um, I I felt differently about some of our summer signings. You know, I wasn't really sure about Ben White. I'm feeling more sure about that at the moment. Wasn't really sure about Ramsdale. Um, feeling quite sure about that at the moment. Didn't know anything about Tommy Asu, so didn't have an opinion on that. But I really wanted Erdgaard. And not least because I, I, I liked what I saw when he was on loan last season, but I, you just always had the sense that there were different levels there. And you only have to look at like the Wikipedia of his career to understand that, you know, he, he hadn't really settled at Madrid, you know, he'd been out on loan quite a bit. And like the only other season he really, really showed something was the season that he spent on loan at Real Sociedad. And like, what does that tell you? That tells you that he went somewhere for a whole season because most of his other loans, I think were for half seasons. And so he was very like, that shows that he was very in and out of the plans at Real Madrid and they were thinking about him and they kind of thought, "Mm, we don't want to send this guy out for the whole season. And then it gets halfway through the season. They go, actually, we haven't found a place for you yet. Like he was in their thoughts, but they couldn't quite accommodate him. And that's, that's quite unsettling. And I think you can see now he's, he's just found a home in, you know, in a good team, an emerging team. 
um, as well. It's got like a real economies of scale effect to it because there's there's just quite a few players who look like this at the moment who are really kind of rising in terms of level and and none more than him I think uh, which is quite the compliment because there are quite a few players like that and it just yeah I've said it before it's, it's just got a real flavor of the kind of Henri Vieira um, kind of e- even Bergkamp you know the guy that had made the big move but probably made it to the wrong club possibly made it too early and then Arsenal's, um, you know, quite a nice step from there. And I, I, I just think you're seeing that at the moment. And, and I think he's beginning to really appreciate the strengths of some of his teammates. He's getting the ball from party. He's giving it to Saka. Those are two pretty good players to be riffing with um, mm. at the moment. And and he's building relationships. And that's, uh, that's one of the things about this team at the moment. You sense there are relationships building. And he is at the absolute epicenter of that. Yeah, and I think you can always tell, Tim, that a player is respected by his teammates when they look to give him the ball no matter the situation. You know, I can think back several months ago where we'd get the ball, you know, a center back would step forward and there'd be a player between the lines and they just wouldn't give it to him. They'd slide it to another center back. There was no confidence to make the pass into tight spaces or into small corridors. And now they're giving giving Odegaard and party to some extent, but giving Odegaard the ball like, with no room and no space. And he's like, oh, that's fine. I'll just Cruyff back heel it to Saka, then run in one, two, and we'll we'll get in for a chance. Like the the extent to which the team is looking to give him the ball, I think tells you how they feel about him, you know? Yeah, absolutely. He is, you know, he is definitely the technical leader of the team and he may he may even be more than that. And um we we've got an absolute steal there um mm. for that money. I, I'm sure there are plenty of clubs around Europe looking at this and thinking, God, why didn't we get involved? Um, for that kind of money but you know that that half season on loan I think probably tees up this move quite nicely and I'm sure they had a conversation when we went our separate ways for a couple of months in May and it was very much probably along the lines of look I understand go back to Madrid see what they you know see what they think see if they want you if they don't we will definitely have you Um, and full credit not just for getting the deal in the summer but really pulling that loan out last January because it wasn't anything that anyone was really talking about Mm -hmm. or anyone really thought was much of a possibility but it was a great loan um, last summer and and it's been a phenomenal signing this year one of one of about four or five that have just immediately raised the level of the first of the first 11 Um, but he's probably been the best one and that's saying a lot yeah, and he's added a bit of fantasy to the game, a bit of unpredictability. I mean, obviously, it makes us so much harder to press. And I, I think partnerships are important. You know, one thing, though, Clive, we focus so much on his partnership with Saka, and it is brilliant. And I think, in a way, the, the focus on Odegaard is well-deserved and and maybe takes away a little focus that could, could be on Saka, if not for the way Odegaard's playing. But I think the partnership that actually is potentially more important than the Odegaard-Saka partnership right now is the Odegaard-Party partnership. You know, at the Palace game that I went to in the fall, I'm not sure if I mentioned that I was at that game before, but but I was at that game at the Emirates Stadium in London. Um, Mm. And that was a game Odegaard played as a central midfielder in the double pivot. And I think it's one of the worst games he's had for us, certainly this season. He did not look comfortable there. And he didn't really seem to understand where he was meant to be. But now somehow, the way he's playing in the position he's been given, he can go forward and join the attack. But when he has to drop in or you know come back to party and drop a little deeper, he looks very, very comfortable getting close to party and, and exchanging passes with him. That partnership 
especially when we have to progress the ball back to front a little more, which we had to do a bit more in this game than we have um, in recent weeks where we've just been so far up the pitch. Their partnership is brilliant, and I think it's also allowing us to see the best of Thomas. Yeah, I didn't think the Palace game, he was that bad, if I'm honest with you. And I've said this before earlier. I, I think that game was refereed atrociously. If it's refereed properly, we win that game. Mm. Right, so I just feel a lot of stoppages too in that game. Never, never got into a flow. I wasn't, that wasn't the issue. We played a few square passes, we got jumped on. I think, Mm. um, Sambi played in that game as well late in the game, didn't he? I think there was a few issues around that space, but Odegaard wasn't the biggest one. And the fact they moved him tells you how how good he he is, right? So, a couple of little things. I remember when I was a little bit younger, getting close to an academy that covers a lot of age range, (laughs) it does, but. It's about playmaking, actually. And when there was an academy involved, you know, watching one close to one, um, they used to have one GPS guy, and they used to give it to the number 10. And the number 10 had to basically cover the most ground. And I thought that was really instructive, actually, because the way we grow up picking at number 10 is almost like it's a luxury player, and mm-hmm. they can just sit in the pocket and do things. And actually, nobody wanted to play the 10 because they have to do the most running. Do you know what I mean? It was quite interesting. Fair enough, Odegaard plays the number 10 like how <laughs> the academy wanted to play number 10. He not only does all the playmaking, he does the most running, he does the most connections. That's exactly how it should be. And I think it destroys some of our previous pre- preconceptions about what that role is. And because you've got to create linkages and partnerships in multiple places. And this is where he's excellent. He is almost like a, a luxury El Nenny, shall we say, connecting and release valving everybody. But when mm. he gets it, he turns around and he's got 30 pictures. And the pictures are one or two ahead before they've even been formed. And that's the key thing. He, his ability to see, to see the next two or three moves is really quite apparent. And there's loads of clips. I mean, there was loads of comps of him coming out this weekend, obviously. And and he's there for everyone to see. And to be honest, the fav- remember the West Ham away last year? He showed us a glimpse then, didn't he? That West Ham away game, he totally took it over. And, and he had, you know, he, he orchestrated everything. And and because of that, people work out who the hot guy is and they connect with him. And Thomas Party is obviously knows exactly how he plays. He seems to play, there's a level of intelligence within this group. And I think that's a very key word for the signing thing about next year, intelligence. And the intelligence and levels that they all play at, particularly three or four of them in that little pocket you're talking about earlier, you know, Saka, Odegaard, mm. Pai, up to a point, Lacazette, the brain level is just there. And it's instant and it's one touch and they know each other's movements. And it's something the manager has spoken about, isn't it? Getting us to that one brain format. And, and I can I can see it. We, well, we can all see it. Come, come on, all the stuff we see at the weekend, it's, it's a joke, isn't it? It's literally a joke, some of this. And, it, and it's unique to the group. And um, and so Thomas Party is obviously, he was showing signs of connecting with Odegaard. If you think some of the games that we've lost you know, or had struggles with, these connections weren't in place. I'm, I'm just, you know, it's just it's just different now. And um, it, it's okay. We've got better. It, I think some people are looking for explanations as to why it's so good now and why it wasn't good back then. And did I analyze this correctly? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think, People, relationships, having the right roles, responsibilities, knowing your accountabilities, being comfortable with your responsibilities, allow you to show your talent. Mm. And there are issues there. Amy Lawrence wrote a beautiful piece in the Athletic today about Thomas Pye 
And she, and she sort of intimated that basically he wasn't comfortable with his responsibility and he was probably putting a bit too much pressure on himself. And now you look at him, you think he's absolutely comfortable with his responsibility and now he's playing within it and enjoying it and, and holding it. And I think oh, it's just great. And, he, and he's not the only one, right? So um, right now, don't, ex- don't try too hard to explain it. Just enjoy it and then start to look at, okay, how can we, how can we create depth? I think that's the next thing that's coming to my mind because we will need depth sooner or later. And then can that depth get to these levels? Because that's that's the next phase, really. Yeah. I, I think my, my only response to the depth issue is that, like, we also have to be realistic that when you have players hitting the level that, like, Saka, Odegaard, Party are hitting, whatever depth you're going to have, it's very, very, very rare that what comes in off the bench can approximate that level, right? I mean, we're actually quite fortunate to have two very, very, very skillful, talented players in Smith Rowe and Pepe on our bench. And I think that is a luxury, you know, that not every team can look to. You know, they'd be starting on a lot of teams. But, can, I just, can I just add to that a little bit? Yeah. So if you take Smith Rowe and Martelli, for example, there's depth there. But yeah. stylistically, they're slightly different. Mm. So depth doesn't mean exactly the same. That's true. Yeah. And we can develop another face. I think that's really important. I love the depth of um, Nuno and Tini, for example. You know, that's a great point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Two different styles, the way they carry the ball, the way they travel with it and or don't travel with it. Um, and Smith Rowe and Martinelli, you know, same same shirt number most of the time. But the way they play is slightly different. And I think well, that's what we got to develop. Yeah, and I think good coaching also is understanding those differences such that when you have to rely on the backup player – Maybe you make some tweaks to get the most out of them. A great example might be Cedric, who this wasn't necessarily his best game, but he's been pretty good uh, to very good at times since Tomiyasu's gone out. But one of the ramifications of Tomiyasu being out is maybe we've let the right back be more advanced and ask Tierney to do more all-court play, you know, where he where he has to defend a little more and, and understand sitting back a little more because that's not necessarily where Cedric's at his best. And we saw that in this game at times where Cedric did have to defend deeper or did have to try to play out from the back. Some of the warts in his game were more visible. So, Paul, that actually leads me to an interesting question. I think the interesting thing in this game is we saw something creep back in that we hadn't seen in a while. And and I think, again, it's another really strong example of, of Arteta's good coaching because after we took the lead, it's the first time in ages, really, that we kind of let ourselves get pushed back. And there was a period there of maybe 15, 20 minutes to end the first half where we spent quite a lot of time defending in our defensive third, which we haven't done in a long time. But then we come out after halftime and we were rampant. We were sensational. We were slick on the ball, one touch passing, staying up the pitch a little more. And I, you know, I think that's a credit to Arteta, who I'm sure at halftime would have made adjustments and reminded them that we don't want to sit that deep. But I'm curious how you felt during that period, because that to me was the first time in a long time we've seen ourselves maybe become a little more passive. I thought our off the ball work in that last 15 or 20 minutes of the half wasn't where it needed to be. And it's pretty clear that Arteta cleaned that up at halftime. Yeah. Um, it had some parallels to the previous Leicester game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in that the last 15 minutes of the first half was where you felt a little edgy and they had a couple of really good chances. I mean, Leicester are quite good at the football uh, when they're flowing. They have some average players. They're they're susceptible at the back. But when Madison, uh, Barnes, etc., get together and can connect, 
they'll cause you all sorts of pain. They're they're good players, so they they connect two or three of those guys, especially because <clears throat> what we didn't try and do at the end of the first half was sit back. We were we kept our shape, so we had the adv- advanced attacking eights, Jack on one side, and Odegaard on the other. So if you think of that chance where. Uh, who's waltzing up the pitch with the ball and puts that ball in behind uh, Harvey Bar- er, to Harvey Barnes over Cedric's head. Mm. Cedric gets the defensive line wrong and uh, Barnes is almost through one-on-one with uh, Ramsdale, but it's it's kind of over by the, the byline, so it gets squeezed out. It's kind of a nervy moment. And that's in part because Chak is way up the field and it's, it reminds me of that Podence moment with Wolves where, again, we're caught up the field and we're not switched on to the counter. So, in fact, we've, we've kept a very attacking shape and game, but that's a 15 minutes where they're kind of on it and they're connecting. And now we have to learn how to handle counters and transitions, a bit of the Watford scenario. So we'll see. We're going to see some of this. This is the risk we take against these these teams um, where we're going for a win, we're not we're not going to create scenarios where it's a draw. We've had three draws in the league so far this year. We either win, and we mostly win, or we lose, and I'm fine with that. It's uh, better, yeah. You prefer it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're sticking with our game plan. Unfortunately, they were a little sharper, a little more on it because they needed. You know, that was their. Every team has a hot spell. That was their hot spell, and. What you saw was an adjustment at halftime, not in terms of our setup or how we played, but we were just much more on it from the get-go in the second half, and we kept it on the carpet. We played out from the back. Now, I think we always assume we always play out from the back because that's been the narrative, but, you know, we mix it up. We go, You'll remember in the first half, White chipping it over the top to Saka or going longer to Martinelli with Ramsdale or whatever. And that's because Leicester had a really good line pressing our our back as we were uh, our back line as we were trying to play out. And sometimes we took the other option and we might have that might have always been the plan in any case because mm. Leicester play a high line. Started the second half, we were very deliberate, patiently building from the back, aggressive uh, courageous, and you you could see Arteta on the sideline, uh, especially after we got the second goal, saying, "Don't keep kicking it back to them like like we did in towards the end of the first half. Keep it on the carpet, play it out, keep control." He talked about the mistakes against Watford of not passing them to death. I wouldn't quite say we passed them to death, but we maintained much more control. We were braver and more focused about playing out from the back. And, um, yeah, I, I think there was a real element of control that reasserted, re- reasserted itself right from the start of the second half, reestablished our game, and from there we just took it home. Uh, you know, both goals were from set pieces, but they were also in periods of extreme pressure for Leicester. Mm. Um, and uh, this was a really well-executed game plan. And yeah. what we're seeing is game yeah. after game, us raising the pressure and the tempo and getting the goals and playing for 90 minutes. Yeah. And that's what and, takes you home. Yeah, and I, I think, look, it, it is funny because the, the the talking points in this game wind up being the sensational brilliance of, of Martin Odegaard, obviously, um, the, the quality of, of Thomas Party, their partnership developing. 
you know, Tim, it, it's because we're we're playing some swashbuckling, exciting football right now. It is sort of overshadowing some of the really heroic work that's still going on at the back to keep these wins as wins. And and because we get the second goal, we're not talking about it. But like Benjamin White has a basically a goal line clearance that has to be made. Um, Tierney has an incredible block coming in from the the weak side, running into the box. I, I don't know who the block was on. Uh, Harvey it, Barnes was takes it, on it off his toe, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ramsdale has a sensational save. So, <clears throat> you know, there's still some really important last-ditch work being done defensively, and I'm curious how you feel about the balance because I think there are some people that anytime you give away those kind of chances feel like the balance isn't right. I personally, and I think everybody's sick to death of hearing this and knows it, but like, I think if you're going to go more attacking and you're going to go try to win games and create chances, you have to occasionally have some last-ditch defensive moments. That's just the trade-off you're going to make. So it doesn't worry me, but I'm curious how you feel about those moments because, again, it's the Ramsdale save, it's the Tierney block, it's the white clearance, and those, even though we outshot them 21-6 to and out-XG'd them 2.6 to .6, you know, those were kind of scary moments in the game. Yeah, totally. And and a lot of this, a lot of what we're seeing at the moment is is really just down to personnel. Like when you look at this, we've introduced what four, maybe five players into the starting eleven this summer, and then you know you add Party and Gabriel on top of that from the previous summer, and like the starting eleven has just completely changed. And basically, all of those signings have worked. Um, and so what's kind of happening at the moment, I guess, is that we're moving more towards the football that Arteta really wants and we really hoped that he wants because he's got the players he wants to do it. And that includes the defence. And I think you could see from the off on paper, really, when he signed Benjamin White and, you know, he'd signed Gabriel before that. I mean, they're both really quite aggressive, front-footed defenders. They like making interceptions high up the pitch, but they're both pretty good one-on-one. Um, I have to say, I didn't think that initially about Ben White. There were quite a few moments earlier in the season where I thought, hmm, he can pass, but can he defend? But yeah, he can defend, it turns <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, absolutely. This is about, if you're going to be a good domineering team, like, um, you know, people have to come under stress and it's how you do that. That's what defines top players is how they deal with stress. Mm. Um, and we're seeing it with party at the moment, right? Based on the midfield. And I, I liked what, um, what Paul said on the instant reaction that that's almost, it, it's almost like we put the chicken before the egg, um, in that. And basically party probably hadn't earned that level of trust with his performances yet, but it's almost like giving him that sense of responsibility was just a way of saying, right, we think you can do this. I know you can do this. You probably haven't shown it yet, but by giving you this role, you, you've got to do it now. It's like chucking him in mm. at the deep end and saying, swim. Um, and, you know, I, I think uh, Arteta made some very similar comments about Smith Rowe, didn't he, when he took the number 10 shirt. And he kind of said, mm, maybe he's not ready for that yet, but I prefer a guy who's not ready for it yet going for it and us supporting him. And, and I think that's what's going in, on in defence as well. He's got the centre-backs that he wants in the team. Um, he's uh, not so much lately, but got the right back that he wants. Gave Kieran Tierney a new contract, so that's his guy as well. He signed the goalkeeper. So th- these are Arteta's guys now, and there is, there is, I think, that sense of trust that wasn't there um, in Arteta's previous two Good seasons. Yep. And, and yeah, you're right. Like 
this was the thing about um i know i know this is like arsenal's version of godwin's law that all all conversations about arsenal go back to the invincibles but you look at that defense and what was great about it was they were all great one-on-one like sol campbell mm. colo torre laura and ashley cole you could leave them on their own um all of them one-on-one and they'd deal with it and that's um that that's where i, I feel like we're kind of in that direction um, at the moment, and and these guys can can handle stress. And like, I was really interested in that thing Arteta said about when they scouted Ramsdale and they looked at how he responded every time he conceded a goal. And let's be fair, he played for Bournemouth and Sheffield United. There was a lot of evidence <laughs> on on that particular film reel. Um, but they really liked the way he responded um, to all of that. And I think we saw a bit of that. You know, in the Wolves home game where that goal's conceded and he's geeing everyone up and, and things like that. So I, I do think there is just that sense of trust. And they have, like the centre backs, they both made mistakes recently. Um, yep, Gabriella against Wolves and, you know, Ben White possibly had a couple of ro- ropey moments against Watford, albeit his overall performance was fine. And I think they've probably just reached that sweet spot where they know they've got. <clears throat> the room to make mistakes if that makes sense and it's very much like and, and Arteta's always been big on this even he said it about Mustafi as well I think when um when he first arrived and Mustafi made that big mistake at Stamford Bridge and Louise got sent off and he said no 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 but after that he still had the intent to play so I think they've got that kind of that security of right we, we're going to be brave we're going to be isolated sometimes we're going to be brave on the ball and we know as long as you don't get it wrong all the time that like, yeah, it might go wrong once in a while, but I know I'm not necessarily going to get dropped or admonished um, for that. And just having that level of trust, both in the players, but from the coach, um, do, I, I think you can you really see that working. reminded me of something with that Mustafi thing. Do you remember the other thing he said at the time, which was when a player makes a mistake, the others have to get him out of it. Yeah, They have yeah. to kind of recover the game, recover the moment, bail him out. And you see that? very much with our back three, our back five, um, like uh, the Gabrielle mistake uh, uh, was it against Wolves uh, for their goal. Uh, maybe it was the first uh, Watford goal. And um, uh, like Ramsdale. It was Wolves, Paul. Wolves, yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. And uh, Ramsdale kind of immediately geeing him up and saying it, it's all right, it's cool. And you get this sense that the three of them are in it together. They make a mistake, uh, but they'll G each other up. And we give them a lot of credit for it. Mm. But you see other teams that do it different ways where they're shouting at each other and like that's not, you know, giving, giving them an earful. But maybe that's very copacetic with the Arteta culture of you bail each other out. You use that, you motiv- use that motivation uh, to get the back unit, to get the team to bail that player out, which gives the the team the the incentive to go and get that goal to level things up yeah i I, another incident just kind of came to mind that one of these like little things that probably annoys me far too much but i really pick up on in games when we played at home to villa in october and that was one of our better performances really good and we won 3-1 but villa got it back to 3-1 and immediately after i think the ball worked, worked back to tommy asu and he just whacked it out of play and there was one of those moments where I kind of went spare because <laughs> it was like, no, like they've just scored. Don't get like, just keep the ball for 30 seconds. Don't wallop yeah. it out of play and let them have <clears> it back <throat> when their tails are up. And and I think like you can see that kind of stuff just doesn't happen anymore. Um, and I think they've they've got that, that kind of trust uh, within the team. 
It, it is really interesting just watching, especially in the second half, the way the ball is zipping back and forth between players, one touch pass and just keeping, you know, the, the crowd started doing the Olays. And like, I think everybody who isn't in the crowd who watches at home hates when the crowd does Olays because you're like, okay, <laughs> someone's going to come in and two foot one of our players. Please don't do this. But, but like, we just kept it and kept it and kept it. And usually when the crowd starts doing Olays, there's like one more pass and it goes out in a touch. But we just kept it and the ball just kept moving and Lester couldn't get to it. And being able to do that doesn't just create chances, doesn't just open teams up. It breaks their resolve. We saw Arsenal teams do that years ago, and we haven't done it for a long time. And even though I know we didn't outpossess them in this game technically, the periods where we needed to keep our foot on the ball and just take the sting out of the game, they just got sick of chasing us. And, and it was beautiful to see. And, I think- and, and, and in the center, center of those Olays was Odegaard. And to, I didn't get a chance, a bite at Odegaard earlier. But what's really... No one stu- got a bite at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that comes to my point. Uh, all he does is scan. It's that pictures that that Clive was talking about. Mm. Uh, but he's not looking at pictures for him. He's looking like this is the team. He's like, how, how did he get that pass head to Saka when it looked like he was going to shoot? He already knew where Saka was like three seconds beforehand. He scans nonstop. He, he's so comfortable with his own game. I don't think he knows when he's about to do a flick. He doesn't think, oh, I'll flick this one. He's no fucking idea what's going on below his neck because above his neck is just scanning. Yeah, and it, yeah. his body's so comfortable with getting the ball to where it needs to go. He doesn't think, oh, I'll do this next. He, he has his pictures. Well, he's scanning. He's looking at the team, the movements. And he's not looking at how things are. He's looking at how, how things are about to become. Yeah, I, I think the the hallmark of a really good player is that when they pull out a, a party piece or a trick or something like that, it's not just for show. And the thing I like about Odegaard is when it's a, a back heel, you know, a drag back, a Cruyff flick, a, you know, a, a a dummy, it's because that's the best, quickest, most effective way to get the ball where it needs to go or open yeah. up space. And it's, it's not an extravagance. Um, you know, Clive, the first of all, I, I think from a coach's standpoint, it will have to have put a smile on Arteta's face. I think that we got both of our goals essentially from set pieces because there's the Martinelli corner kick to, to Thomas party. And the handball comes from a well-taken set piece that, that nearly results in a goal before the handball uh, leads to the penalty. Arsenal actually got a penalty. So we'll talk about the next time that happens in a couple seasons, but, but Clive, like Lester are bad at set pieces. It's an area of weakness for them. And we exploited it for the two goals in the game. And I'm curious, you know, when a coach, can come away from a game saying, let's target them in those areas and gets both goals from those areas. I think that reflects well in the coaching, right? I mean, because you're looking at their weakness and you come away from the game and saying, that's where we got both our goals by attacking their weakness and having a plan for that. Yeah, there's a flow to this game. I mean, we scored a very similar near post corner at Leicester. I think Gabriel backheaded it into the corner. They're they, really they, bad they, at corners. <laughs> uh, they highlighted on TV that, funny enough, Luke Thomas gambled and dumped, jumped under both of the corners and, and, and we scored. Uh, yeah, I think it's... um. Uh, there was a little clip there I thought was quite interesting of Shaka running to a set-piece coach on the first goal. Again, that shows you the bond with the group, the players mm. and the coaches. I mean, doing set-piece training, trust me, lads, it's pretty boring because <laughs> you're standing <laughs> and you're doing it repeat, repeat, and, and players generally hate it. <laughs> right? So, um, and, it, and it's not that good. So so when you see something come off, though, the results, you know, you, you do get a lot of pleasure from it. So I will say, can I just talk a bit about the flow of the game in it? Yeah, of course. Well, I just wanted to bring that up quickly because I was curious, you know, your take from sort of a coaching perspective, if a coach will feel 
you know, a, a sense of pride in getting the goals in a game from a kind of thing that you would have gone into the game preparing your team for as as a weakness the oppositions because yeah. I I do think that there's something but we assume that. that don't we that's why yeah. we assume we got a set piece and we score from it we were scoring anyway we just happened to score oh, yeah. two set yeah. pieces yeah. In, in this game and that's what I wanted to talk about really was the mm-hmm. how we approached the game how we were really at it and got got at them please and really really pushed them back but really played at a level at a tempo and I get I I came into this season thinking that Leicester were a better running a higher tempo team than us. And we out-tempoed them straight away. There wasn't many of us that th- would have thought we'd have finished above Leicester this season, based on previous couple of seasons. Because they've been in the top four a lot of the time. And they're a bright young team with bright recruitment. We've spoken about them a lot on this podcast. And suddenly we just swatted them, right? Absolutely swatted them in a way where they used to swat us on occasions in not too distant past. They're and literally so, having to slash their James Madison fee every time, every time they watch Martin Odegaard play. <laughs> and I was one of those at 50-50. It was pretty cool either way it went until the money became too big and it obviously became Odegaard was the one to go for. And like I didn't shout too loud about that because I would have looked really stupid otherwise because he looked... Save he that for me, Clive. I got you covered on the looking stupid. Well, we, we showed, he showed at the weekend there's, there's no comparison, right? So mm. both very good players, but one is literally running football matches right so mm-hmm. there was a period when we were you know on top and then we sat away and i think people this is the period to really focus on we we sat away and what we tried to and this is the only thing that went wrong when we regained the ball we didn't retain it for two or three passes that that's all it was we you know how we talk about regain retain we just either booted the ball away Tommy Asu style that Tim alluded to booted it away or we tried something spectacular for one touch like a really difficult pass and we kept giving it away and all that did was allow territory to go against us and we got into half time and then we said okay we're going to retain the football as soon as we went back to retaining the football and increasing the pass numbers and pass sequences it was over from that moment onwards and so that's an interesting lesson when we are when we do drop away into our four four two block, we haven't got to go big early. We can control and be patient on our exits out of defence. Can we keep it closer? Get to th- there's a coaching terminology first three. Can we get to three passes and you build from there? And so that first movement when the ball gets turned over is really important that we start to expand, get to three passes, and then pos- then progress through the thirds. Now, when we in the second half we are focused on territory and passing numbers. And then the game was done because, you know, we scored a second goal and Leicester was too far back to come and we could then have, you know, party time, LA time. So that's the message for me. Retain, regain, retain, retaining possession on turnovers for longer to create better offensive actions, which then push teams back. And what we didn't do, we didn't retain it enough and that just encouraged them on. And we had a couple of chances, but that was it. In a game of Premier League football, the other team will have a moment. That's for sure. I think we could explain why they had their moment. And then we absolutely, what was really pleasing about this game was how we solved the problem. Whether it's the coaches or the players, I'm not too sure, but we solved it, executed, have fun, even went home you know, with a happy face on. Yeah. And and I think the one thing that I, that I think also contributed to that, that period where we were maybe under pressure a little bit, Clive, yes, we were booting it long, but like we see good teams sometimes do that. Liverpool will sometimes boot it long. And even if they don't win the ball, they use it to trigger their press. I just, I didn't see the aggressive off the ball energy 
you know, when it went out for a throw in the Leicester half at the end of that first half, we weren't really getting at them. And so they were able to bring the ball in our half in a way we haven't seen teams be able to do as much recently. And like I said earlier, credit to Arteta because we did not see that happen again to that extent in the second half. And Tim, just real quick on the the wide players, Martinelli and Saka. One thing that I don't think can be overstated is the way football is changing in the Premier League to the extent that the wide players are the threat players, are the danger players in the Premier League. And we're seeing fewer and fewer dominant center forwards. I mean, I guess you'd say Harry Kane is like the best center forward in the Premier League right now, and he spends a lot of his time in midfield. Oh, by the way, sort of like Lacazette does, sort of the way you know Firmino does when, when he plays or you know at the top of the D or whatever. But the reason I bring this up is one of the ways you neutralize the opposition is if your wide players are up the pitch and are threatening and creating danger, the fullbacks can't overlap. Their wide players have to help back defensively, and you start to control the game. I thought we had better balance in this game between Martinelli and Saka's threat. Um, Mm -hmm. Saka was brilliant, as he always is. I thought Martinelli, especially in the first half early on, some of his first touches were outrageous. He had that move where he dribbled someone, got to the byline, right you know right to the byline and cut it back for a shot that was blocked but but I think having that threat on both wings meant that Barnes wasn't in the game as much you know th- their fullbacks couldn't overlap as much especially on the left where they have more danger and and that that's something that I think is critical if you're going to be more front-footed to controlling the opposition is is ensuring that they have to mind the wingers on both sides you know yeah, definitely. And 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 yeah, I thought both of them were, were excellent in this game, both inverted wingers as well. So um, you kind of know what that means, albeit mm-hmm. one, one of the really pleasing things about both of their development. When you look at it, like Martinelli always going to be an inverted winger because he wants to get close to goal. Saka has become an inverted winger. He's learned how to do that. Um, because he's learned how to kind of make those runs inside and spin his man and and drive towards the box on his left foot. But also he's worked on his right foot so he can go outside as well. And that's one of the things I loved about Martinelli's performance as well is that he's getting much better at going on the outside and beating his fullback. So it doesn't always have to be, I'm going to cut in and how, how do I get a shot? Like you can see that's usually his first thought and rightly so. How do I get a shot here? How do I get a shooting situation? But there have been a few times, I think maybe starting even with that Man City game where he got on the outside of Cancelo um, quite a few times and beat him. And like you said, wriggled to the byline um, for cutbacks and things like that. So he's, he's, he's beginning to develop the other side yep. of his game as a wide player, just as Saka, and Saka did it lightning quick. Do you remember the first time Saka played on the right away at Wolves? I think it was. Um, and it was maybe actually, maybe it wasn't away at Wolves. I think maybe that was the first time he scored from there, but he looked like a fish out of water for one game. And then the next game, it was like, oh no, he looks quite good there actually. And then two games later, it's like, yep, this is his position now because <laughs> uh, he, he just learned it so quickly. But I think Martinelli is really developing into that. Like, yeah, we, we know you can like go into the box and shoot, but you know, be, beating your man on the outside and, and doing a bit more of that. And, and he can do that. He did a bit more of that. Um, in Brazil, albeit a much lower level. I've always said there is a dribbler in there. It it doesn't look pretty because he's so intent um, on getting towards the byline and getting towards the goal. Like he, he doesn't have time to make it look to look make it look especially aesthetically pleasing, but he can drive at, at a player. And I think with Martinelli as well, um I've said in recent weeks, you know, even the Watford game, like 
I, I wasn't worried about him at all, even though he wasn't as in the game as he was in this game, just because I judge him differently, just because you, you've got to understand the player you've got. And Martinelli, I look at a bit like I looked at Alexis Sanchez, a bit like I'd look at Luis Suarez if he was in the team. And it's like, not everything's going to come off. Um, might might even drift out of the game for a little while, but this is an end product player. This is a guy who either gets shots or he, he creates things for others. And that's what you judge him by. And it was the same with Alexis. I, I got why people got annoyed with Alexis giving the ball away, but I didn't care because I just thought he's going to keep trying that difficult through ball until it comes off. And, and it will. And when it does, that's it. Like football's a low scoring sport. I believe in attackers being volume players and ju- just keep trying it. Um, as long as you're not like booting out the stadium every single time, um, you know, keep, keep going for it. And so I, I kind of judge Martinelli a bit more along that, those lines, almost more like um, you judge a striker in old money, you know, but um, you know what he's not? He's not someone who then switches off when he's not on the ball. Like he he yeah. he works doggedly, like especially if we want to be a pressing team, he's as yeah. good as any of our players at that side of it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's and you look at um, you know, you look at some of the players again, you know, Martinelli, that's not a player that Arteta signed, but he'd have signed off on that if if he'd yes. been at the club at the time. And that two way kind of player like Erdegaard is as well, like Saka is as well. And, you know, you look at the the one player that isn't in the team and it's Pepe and Pepe is, you know, he, he is not like in terms of talent and, and attacking output, he does not lag behind Saka and Martinelli. The reason he's not in the team is because he, he's not quite there on the other side, um, mm. on the, on the track. That, that's what keeps him out of the team. That's what keeps him as a cameo player effectively if Pepe put that together that intensity off the ball and I'm not just talking about running back and vaguely being there but like intensity and actually trying to win the ball like he'd probably get in the team um but that's that's what Martinelli gives you and and yeah I think the the threat from from both of them is is amazing Smith Rowe as well you know I've always said I think Smith Rowe is more of a like an exterior player I, I prefer him in that wide forward role I think that's what he is um, and and yeah, that's that's just fantastic having three brilliant young players jockeying for for two positions. Yeah, I mean Smith Rowe is one year older than Martinelli. I mean he's just twenty, and I, I do think the only reason Martinelli winds up being sort of a debate point about is he really that good or not? You know, is he not as good? Is is because we have a beloved academy player who is the guy who would replace him in the starting lineup, and so there's always going to be a little of that angst about well. Should he be keeping Smith Rowe out of the team? And Clive, I mean, I I don't think we should have that angst because they're both sensational players and they're both going to have big futures at Arsenal. I mean, Martinelli's been called up to the Brazil national team. That's not an easy thing to do. But like, but for that competition for a place, I think we would just be enjoying the ride for both of our 20-year-old wingers, you know? Yeah, right. that's where I was going to go, actually. I think what's so interesting about football is the development angle and where these guys are going to go. And, and, and Tim's touched on it. You know, Saka, what could he be? We could literally give him eight positions that he could thrive in. I mean, he so his career is not done. And you know, Tim thinks uh, Smith-Rowe is an, an exterior player at the moment. I actually think he could be an interior player. But who cares, right? He's a very talented footballer that's developing and could develop either way. 
could be a really punchy exterior player or could be a very intelligent two-way interior that can look after the ball and carry. The thing is, he, he could be either because his development and his ability to develop is really, really clear. Martelli the same. Exterior at the moment suits our balance. Potentially could be a link player in the future in the middle of in the number nine. And this is the thing. Football can do this to you. When you see a player development, they suddenly change. And Thomas Pye is a good example. Always a double to pivot guy in the in the times when I've watched him. He sometimes played right back on occasion to cover when someone was injured. Always in a two. Suddenly at 28 years of age, he's a number six on his own for the first time and he's ripping it up. Right? Mm-hmm. So none of us would have called that a year ago. And so development comes with different phases. And this is the honestly, this is the absolute fun, fun, fun part of it for me. He's looking at a player and saying, okay, what if you could do that? What if you can do that? Can you do that better? And he's just having those core principles, core talents, and working as a unit, which allows us to make them fungible in our minds. And we should do that. And that's exactly what we want. We want to have the debate that Smith Rowe can play inside or out. But actually, it doesn't matter if he plays inside or out because he's talented to do both jobs. Do you know what I mean? And can we develop it in that way? And I think that's the future of this team. That's why I think we'll have a slightly nimbler squad but players that can do interior exterior jobs and higher yeah. up and lower down jobs that that's the future of this team for me and, and i think it's worth pointing out also that like the the other thing that that makes the the debate about who you know which wing is thriving and which they're all thriving the team is thriving right like that's that's what matters 21 shots 2.6 expected goals if you look at scott's timeline he's got um tiers of teams offensive and defensively uh you know attack and defense over the last 10 games and in attack and defense but but attack for the moment we're right there with city and liverpool off in the distance from any of the other teams so it is working it's pretty clear to me in arteta's system too one of the wide players is going to occupy the fourth channel and even sometimes the third channel right attacking lane and one of them is going to be all the way out on the touchline, right? So, so Saka's playing more in the half space or the elbow, the, the box, you know, the corner of the box. And, and Martinelli more often is out on the touchline. And that's fine. And then, you know, occasionally there'll be chances to switch it. But I also think that might change a little when Tomiyasu comes back. We'll have to keep an eye on it. I want to talk about complaining because it's extremely my jam. But before we do that, if we're going to talk about talent on the pitch, we need to talk about talent in your business. And the best way to talk about talent in your business is with Indeed. Because when you need the best talent, the only company you should be looking to, the one that gives you the opportunity to hire, to interview, to to find quality candidates, he says butchering the ad read, is Indeed. Indeed's the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Which to me, you know, look, there's a lot of services on the internet that promise don't deliver and you pay anyway. This is one that does it the right way. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find the candidates with the right skills, Choose the one hiring, powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you every step of the hiring process with time-saving tools like Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. Instant Match is one I like because that's the one where you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. You can invite them to apply right away and you only pay for quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. Uh, they deliver according to uh, Talent Nest. That's right. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined. That's pretty good. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That offer is valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
to claim your $75 job credit, indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. And the only other thing that I want to make sure you do is shave your privates. Shave them. Now. Immediately. Go to your bathroom. Get your lawnmower. Shave your pri- Oh, you don't have a lawnmower? Well, that's a shame. That, and it's not a shame. It's a disgrace. You are dishonest to your federation. You need a lawnmower 4.0 because it is the best purpose-built tool for shaving privates. In fact, it is designed with the skin-safe technology and the ceramic blades to be good on uh, loose skin. Now, you might say, well, I don't have any loose skin. I am taught as a, as a newborn baby. Look, there's some loose skin down there. I don't care what, what privates you're sporting. You don't want to cut them. You don't want to nick them. You just want to trim the privates properly. This is the tool that does it. It's the Lawnmower 4.0. It has a long battery life. You can use it in the shower. It's wet, dry, travel lock, button lock. So if you're traveling, like when I go to London, I'm not going to be lawn mowing my, my shed travel bag the whole, uh, the whole time I'm flying over there. It has the inductive charger, so you just sit it in its cradle and it, and it charges. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And you can get their beautiful line of scents and body lotions and tonics and the, the shower gel and the shampoo. One place to get all your needs for grooming. It's manscaped.com. Use promo code Arsenal Vision. Save 20% and get free shipping worldwide. Manscaped.com. Use promo code Arsenal Vision. Save 20% and get free shipping worldwide. It's that simple. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Love that, man. Okay. Moving on, Paul. Uh, Speaking of complaining, one of the things that I think is interesting, right, is that when things aren't going perfectly, it's very interesting and easy to dive into what those things are, right? To start to say, well, clearly there's an issue here and you can really get into the nuts and bolts and weeds of why that thing isn't working. When things are going well and you have a clearly defined style and players really performing at a very high level, your job is to just sort of go, that's great, isn't it? Yes, I concur. That is great. Um, And so there is a tendency to sort of look at the pieces that aren't quite functioning right or the piece, but, but ultimately what I think is so reassuring right now, you know, for a long time, this arsenal has been searching for its identity, how it wants to play. And through the quality of some of these young players, but also through Arteta, I think settling on a system. And I think it took courage to say, I'm going to slightly shift Shaka up into the left eight. He's spoken about it. He says he knows it's not the perfect fit. He's asking him to do it. But what it's done, it's allowed us to press more. It's given us more territory. It's brought the wide players in the game more. It's really brought party and Odegaard to life. And I'm curious if you really think, like, talent aside, that little tweak, this little shift to this system now that we are using is kind of the, has taken the reins off a little bit and and let us go to this next level. Because I think we were always just sort of searching for the solution and it feels like we found it now. Yeah. So the thing I was thinking of that I think relates to this is, you know, that old cliche we trot out at times to explain what hasn't happened yet, but we're hoping for the synchronicities. That's easy for me to say. The automatisms. Also easy for you to say, apparently. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And like, we'd be like, well, what we're looking for here and the next step is, and like, I don't know if they, most of the time it felt like a cliche that, you know, you wondered, was this just something you said, the people said, like, we're seeing right now the automatisms. I'm I'm getting nervous before. Automatisms. 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 Okay, that's that's another way to go. You say yeah. tomato. No one says tomato. That's the thing I don't get. Does it, well, you let's ask I the, the English. Clive. Do you say tomato? No, he says tomato. Tomato. You do say tomato. Oh, he doesn't even yeah. pronounce the the second. I don't okay, say, so you tomato. say tomato. I say tomato. Tomato. He says tomato. 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 Yeah. Tomato. 
automatisms. What, Tim, do you say automatisms or automatisms? Automatisms, stress on the second syllable, personally. Thank you. All right, you know what? We'll, Shouldn't we'll, Clive we'll, say automatisms because he doesn't pronounce the second T. Guys, we're giving away Patreon content for free here. we got, we got, we got to save this. <laughs> Come on. Where, where are you going, Paul? Help me. <laughs> automatisms mm-hmm. is where I'm going. Or as Clive would say, automatisms. Um, tomato. Tomato. Uh, lock stock and two smoking barrels. Um, we're, we got to a point where those synergies between players mean that party can hold the midfield on his own with a little help, with a little support um, that we're like, he's now at a point in terms of his game where he's good enough and the players ahead of him don't keep spilling the ball in bad situations. Like uh, one of the first things I ever learned about Pep and his system was this tucking in the being in positions to make sure when you lose the ball, you're not wide open. And I think so much of what we've been doing over the last couple of years is learning to build from the back, but also to be secure from the back, from midfield, from the attack. So when we lose the ball, we don't get uh, plowed through the middle. And, you know, we had to make an adjustment after Watford because there were moments in that game where we were a little too open. And we saw it a little against Wolves and we saw it a little bit against Leicester. And it's that balance, right? You can't be too safe. If you're too safe, you're you're not taking the risks that open the, the other guys. And again, back to the point of we need to take enough risks that we keep winning games. And if we lose a couple, compartmentalize it. Don't get all... Uh, kind of navel gazing about the fact that at some stage we're going to lose a game, like the Ita- like the Titanic whose hull was compartmentalized, so that if one section got uh, burst open, the ship wouldn't sink. Of course, that's the, why it didn't sink. Yeah, yeah. The the key thing to <laughs> to make sure of is you don't hit the world's biggest fucking iceberg, um, and. That's kind of what Liverpool is, right? Let's not hit a big fucking iceberg psychologically. Let's not make too much of it because what we got to do is keep going game after game, doing what we're doing. It'll beat nine out of 10 cats. And for me, like there is the tactical twitch of put, of switch of putting Chaka a little further up, but like he could have done that a year ago. Problem is the fucking hole would have ripped open and like the water be uh, pouring through the gunnels. I don't know what gunnels are. Um, and the ship would sink because there were too many holes, too few understandings, too little specificity in people's positions, too, li- too little switched on when we lost the ball. Um, so it's really a process of all the different areas around the pitch, people knowing their jobs, their understandings. Like nobody is more switched on when we lose the ball than Martin Odegaard, um, he because he never switches off. He's a switched off when we lose the ball. Like I think it was the Wolves game. I saw him tearing back into the box uh, after we'd lost the ball. It was nothing to do with him. He he should have been kind of uh, two sections up the pitch, and there he is back in the box, chasing around, chasing things down. Everybody has a sense of danger, and like. When you have risk and reward, that sense of danger has been switched on when we lose the ball, knowing where the danger is, where you move to, how you shut that off, allows us to play more progressively, keep Jack up the pitch, um, keep Odegaard up the pitch, 
and allow Party to do his thing solo. He's not really solo, but it kind of looks like he is. Yeah. And so, yes, it's the switch, but it's everything we built along the way, all the understandings that allow us to make that switch and be more aggressive in our uh, setup. I was extremely skeptical of the idea that you need 18 months to get a system in place that can win you football matches and make you a good team. And I have been proven wrong because the facts bear out that that's what it took. It took changing the personnel, teaching the principles of positional play, and getting players who will do the off-the-ball work and know where they need to be. I said this on the Instant Reaction Pod. When you watch the way these players rotate into positions based on where their teammate goes, when Martinelli moves into the half space and Shaka now understands to rotate out wide or drops back into the left wing so that Tierney can push up, and you see those rotations and the cycles happen where they, they cover for each other, I don't know if they could have done it sooner, but they're doing it now, and the rewards are are, are being felt. And Tim, I have if it two were qu- easier, everybody would be doing it, right? Yeah, you just say play like City. Yeah. Well, okay, great. Yep, good idea. I think I'll do that. Um, Tim, two questions. The, the first one's a little silly, but how long do you think it'll be before Arteta actually comes on the pitch and starts playing? Because he's getting pretty close. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's funny though. We we speculated, didn't we? during kind of <clears throat> when we had like the drinks breaks and games mm-hmm. behind closed doors, it was like, oh, what's going to happen when the crowd's back in and and he's not allowed to micromanage quite as much. And and I think there are two answers to that. A, um, try and stop him. <laughs> he seems to have taken that as a challenge. Um, but, but B, like in all seriousness, probably just doesn't need to as much um, at the moment, which which I think is probably the more likely answer. Yeah, okay. So that was the silly question. The serious question is, in, in his post-match um, comments, Martin Odegaard said, I'm not going to get the quote exactly right because I thought I had it up and I don't have it up, so I apologize. But he said something along the lines of, he was asked about the you know the camaraderie and the unity in the team or with the spirit in the dressing room. And he basically said, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced before. It's mm. the best I've ever experienced. And you know, you could say, well, that's what winning does. But I don't get the sense that they ever really weren't like that. You know, I don't get the yep. sense that there was a toxic atmosphere in that dress. I mean, you know, going back two seasons, maybe even through the Aubameyang thing, it didn't display itself. And I think by the way, a lot of credit is, is deserve is due to players who are out of contract or getting older, you know, like a Lacazette who could easily have made this a tricky situation out of contract mm. next year, best, best friend in the team ostracized and, and basically sent away. But I'm curious because uh, I think you may be wired a little bit more like me. No one's wired entirely like me, but in terms of not putting as much emphasis emphasis on the culture and camaraderie side of things, but it certainly seems to be something these players are speaking about, care about, and is contributing to our success. So how do you feel about him saying that, what it means for us you know, longer term? Yeah, I mean, uh, in one respect, you might expect him to say that when he's been at Real Madrid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Touche, yeah. Well, and when he's playing the best football of his life and and we're winning. Yeah, yeah, and and like he's been out and around on loan, and so it, it doesn't feel like he's been in like a team environment, like a settled team environment for more he than a year. He did have a very positive experience at Real at Sociedad. Sociedad. Yeah, I, read. I, I bet if you spoke to him, that that would be the closest he's come, and and that's probably why because because he was there for a year. Yeah, the coach um, loved him. They really wanted him back, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but ne- nevertheless, I I do still think there is something in that, even when um you know I guess to use Arteta's own words from his unveiling when the tree shook. 
those first three games of the season, you just never got the sense that those players weren't with him. Um, and, and effectively, I guess, the only ones who haven't been, I mean, it's very obvious who they are because they don't play for us anymore. I remember Arteta um, talking about it being the best time of his life, which yeah. seemed a bit rich at the time. And you look back and you say, oh, okay. No, exactly. You can see why. And and I guess what I'm interested in now is because I think you, you can probably say that Arteta's been proved right on all of that. Um and and uh, but the thing I'm interested in now is like that that was very much that was probably needed that weeding out you know that weeding out of the, of the guys who don't quite toe the line or or aren't quite with the program or whatever. Mm. Um, but that is not a definite situation. You have to flex. Um, I think as a manager, like that, that was probably the right thing for the time that he had liberty and he had license from the club to do that cultural reset. And he could be very, you're either with me or against me type thing that, mm. that doesn't work on an indefinite timeline as we saw with George Graham. And I, I often compare like what's happening now with the beginning of George Graham's reign where something very similar happened. There were lots of kind of late peak star players who frankly were picking up a bit of a wage and thinking, yeah, Arsenal's quite a nice place to be. And George Graham, came in with a blazer on and said no it's fucking not anymore um and brought in some young players and brought in some players from the from the football league and things like that and and that's that's quite similar to what's happening at the moment and you've got the real rise of that um under graham but it it did for graham in the end because that message wears thin after a little while um so i'd I'd say um not to be like captain bring down here while we're riding the crest of the wave of it um and it's quite possible arteta knows all this thinks all this whatever um and and i guess while he's bringing guys in he's bringing in the characters that he doesn't think will be a problem for him anyway um but i i just think like medium to long term it would be interesting to see like whether he flexes his approach so that the message doesn't wear thin. Um, that that's what I I find quite interesting. Just just in like the rear view mirror, I think. But I think you could say at this stage that that he's been proven right on um on a lot of these things. Whatever the ins and outs of the individual scenarios, basically the team's in a good place. And so fair fucks. He yeah. said himself he made ahead, a bunch of mistakes in his recent interview, right? They asked him you know, what would he have done some things differently? He says, I made loads of mistakes. So, yeah. you know, he, he got to a good place. I think his fundamental instincts were right, but like he's got to have learned an absolute shitload of things over the last two years because this is his first job. I think maybe I am guilty of thinking that a new first-time coach can come into a big club like Arsenal and just bring really good footballing principles and win. And not realizing that at a big club like Arsenal that has had some toxic culture and some big ego players on big money, you know, later stages of their career and just chased out a previous manager that there wouldn't be issues that had to be resolved that are not on the training ground, that aren't on the pitch, and that Arteta had never really had to resolve those. And oh, by the way, his only exposure to those being resolved, you know, real well, I should say as a coach, I mean, as a player, he, he saw how Arsene Wenger did it, but... As you know, as a coach, you saw how Pep did it. And when Pep doesn't want to play, he doesn't want to play. I mean, look at what he did with Leroy Sané, but City have resources to do that in a way that is difficult at other clubs. I think, Clive, one thing, though, that shouldn't be overlooked is what Arteta has... First of all, to Tim's point, the reason I think he will be able to vary his approach a little is when it comes to discipline, and I think as a parent you learn this sometimes, 
When there's a behavior that has to get corrected, sometimes you have to crack down hard and go through a period of difficult discipline. But once the behavior gets on track, then you can loosen the reins a bit, right? So like now he's got players that are doing what he wants them to do, that represent what he wants them to represent, that, you know, train and play the way he wants them to play. And so I, I don't think he needs to, to go with the stick as much as the carrot. But, but Clive, one thing that shouldn't be overstated in my view is also that he has now delivered them to a point where all their suffering and all their work and all the pain and all the periods that probably weren't fun not only are leading to winning now, but now they're getting to play fun football. Now Odegaard is getting to dummy the ball and backheel the ball, and Saka's getting to skin guys and score goals, and Thomas Party's getting to pirouette in midfield and, you know, and, and play the kind of football he wants. And as a result of their hard work, you know, they're now not having to play sort of robotic defensive football. They're getting to be in parts of the pitch where they're having more fun. And so do you think that that's critical, that if you're going to instill these philosophies and the discipline and make them suffer for it, that in order for them to really reap the benefits at the end, the football has to be what we're seeing now. It has to be something that doesn't just win, but is 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 fun to play, that they're getting to demonstrate their talents. Well, that's a lot of assumptions in there, Elliot, I will say. Um, but, the but thing- there are. That's why I'm asking if you agree with them. I mean, and they may no. all be wrong, but I, I don't know that you can take a group of players like we have, Clive, and ask them to play the way Sean – like, could these players play Sean Dyche football? Would they be willing to? Would would they it's not want about to do that? You know, it's 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 not about that. It's about the group, right? So what did he inherit? He inherited a bloated squad, so bloated he couldn't even name them all into his squad, right? So that's very difficult to manage. And then he, you know, if you look at any sort of a change cycle, there's a good change model called Drexler Sibit, right? Look at that, Drexler Sibit. Mm-hmm. Any sort of change model, basically, what that does is you have to find out. You know, you find out. You know, you set the goals and you and you set the um, the tone, and you find out who's committed, right? And that's a key phase. And to Paul's point about him making mistakes, one of the mistakes he, he sort of intimated he made was actually some of the things I wanted to do I should have done sooner. He actually let things hang around a little bit too long. Interesting. And yeah. you, you look at some of those players that are no longer playing for us. Can you imagine them playing in this group? Seriously, can you? Can you imagine Gwen Doozy running around in this group, doing what he likes, flicking his hair, not running back? Can you imagine it? The team has developed his own culture. Right? That is the biggest reward for a coach. You try to get people along. You really put in those base fundamentals, those principles. And normally those fundamentals and principles are done as a group, not imposed by one individual. If it's imposed by one individual, that individual becomes a single point of failure and it won't work if he, if he turns his back. It has to be a group thing. All of the players, all of the coaches, all the physios, they've all got to be on board. All the analysts have all got to say, this is how we work, this is how we live. It's got to be that way. As soon as one little cog decides it's not, you know, it's not for him, or if Arteta then becomes a person and just turns around, I'm sorry, people will take the mickey if they're not truly on board. That commitment phase is really, really important. And it seems as though he and that we've gone through that now, and now you're seeing the upside, right? The the high performance side. So now, when you're bringing new people into this culture. You have to make sure that they come in, they're coming for the right motivations and they are committed. And so they're now joining something which has an identity. There was a story about a player that left Arsenal which joined another club. I can guess, I'm guessing it's someone like a Alex Oxley Chamberlain, for example. And when he joined, he walked in the room, they said, Don't bring your Arsenal attitude here. 
And that was the rumour in the game. Arsenal's attitude. It, 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 <laughs> well, no, I've, I'll just guess. I guess it was Oxlade Chamberlain, right? Well, it just hurts to hear anybody speaking about, you know, our, our uh, the way I've we heard were that. that that's, 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 not, that's not a secret. And that yeah. tells you everything about what Arsenal used to be. That's why I've been banging on about this for ages. Right? It's so important. You when you when All you have, lads, all you have is your dressing room. That's your place of work. If it's broken and fractured, we see what's happening at Manchester United. Mm. Right? It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter who your favourites are. It doesn't matter. It's always about the group, the team, and, and how bonded they are together. And when you see it work, you go, shoot, that's, this is what it's all about. I mean, all we mention, we talk about now is unity and happiness and look at the players and look at this and look at that. How do you think that happened? It had to be them all buying into it and showing their commitment to where we want to go. For me, since Dubai, I've noticed a step up in goals alignment, ferocity to get to the target. Something happened in that little break and they've come back and it's gone up again to a new level. And I don't see anything or anybody who's not on the boat. If you can spot one person, I can't. I literally can't. Even the players are not playing that are absolutely fully on board. And, you know, it's it's it's, it's really nice to see that work. And the next phase, not just from a football perspective, but from a human being perspective, is going to be really interesting to see how he layers on top of this and mm-hmm. layers underneath it as well with youth players. It's really exciting, I've got to say. It's really exciting. And... um I hope they get their just rewards. I, I really, I can't stress that enough. Forget the fact we we love the team. We always, we always want to finish as high as possible. But when you're doing it properly, I hope they get rewarded for it. I really do. Yeah, and and I mean, I, I think the point you made is a really, really important one too, right? Because now you can go out and get a player in the market who's supremely talented, and instead of saying, "Can this manager get that player to fit the culture?" You know who's going to get that player to fit the culture? The culture. All the players, all the coaches, right? Because the players won't tolerate someone coming in and disrupting their winning culture exactly. and, and their unity. And that's a really, really good point, Clive. But, Tim, I mean, as we as we round the corner here, I mean, this is another great win, a crucial win, because it's a crucial week. I think Villa away is looking like a harder and harder fixture. Liverpool, even though it's home, is I, I think they're the best team in Europe right now, so I think it's the hardest game we could possibly have. And, and I'll be honest in saying, whatever we can do in it, I'm not particularly fussed. Like, if we... If we lost it 5-0, I wouldn't be upset. I mean, I'd, I'd be upset in the sense that I never want that to happen, but I wouldn't see it as a disruption to the direction we're going because it's a challenge that I, I'm i excited to see how we measure up. It's it's a fun measuring stick, but I, I wouldn't expect us to quite be there yet. Um, I do think that United winning at the weekend was the better result for us. Um, they still have to go to Anfield. They still come to ours. We've got three games in hand on them, not to mention that they just didn't look that good to me. I've always felt that if we were going to get caught, it'd be by Spurs, which is the worst case scenario. And we Mm. still have to go to them. So I think this weekend went exactly as we needed it to. And I do think now it lets us go into this Liverpool game feeling like we have everything to gain and somewhat nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. And I know people hate the free hit thing. People are so annoyed with it. But I mean it in the sense, Tim, of like, it is a free hit in the sense also that I don't think we need a result for it to for us to get to the goals we have for the season. So mm-hmm. how do you think about this game? And principally, do you think Arteta will let them go measure themselves and play the way they've been playing stylistically against Liverpool or opt for something maybe a little more conservative? I, I think he'll he'll want to keep doing the same thing um, for momentum purposes as much as anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, very privately, he might think... Um, 
I mean, he's the manager, so he wouldn't he wouldn't be prepared to to write off a defeat. Um, but privately, he might be thinking, you know, along similar lines that okay, th- this isn't going to make up or break our season. It's not this result. It's more the Villa result. Or, well, yeah, Villa performance slash result. That's more, you know, because that's one you'd really expect. Like anything, with if we get a draw from this, great. There's another part of me as well that kind of thinks. You know, you might think, and again, I don't think the managers or the player will, players will or should think like this, but there's a little part of me that thinks, don't kill yourselves losing this game because we've got a slightly more winnable one on Saturday. But I think quite simply when um, a team and players are playing like this, you just keep them going. I, I think he'll make like the little adjustment of playing Smith Rowe ahead of Martinelli. Um, and perhaps have Martinelli as an impact sub late on. Um, other than that, I don't see, I don't see any change in the lineup, and therefore I don't see any change in the approach. I think he will um, let them and go go and measure themselves. And and I know we kind of did that at Anfield in November and got and got smashed, but that was that was different. That was Lukonga was starting and Tavares was starting, and you know I, I don't think Erdegaard was back in the team at that point. I can't actually remember if he played that game, but. It's this. This is a bit different, um, I think. And don't get me wrong; I, I probably still expect us to lose on balance. But I also think that there would be some value in, you, you know, how everyone felt about that Man City game. I do think that there, that people can compartmentalise when they see a good performance. And if it, I mean, hopefully it wouldn't be as harsh as the Man City game in terms of, you know, players falling over in the penalty area and the referees going, "Yeah, yeah, sure, we'll help you." Um, but you notice but, a very, very similar foul in the Newcastle Chelsea game resulted oh yeah. in no penalty given. Of yeah, course. of course, of course, and and so you know, I I think like a really good performance would still raise, but and, and like a narrow defeat would 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 you know wouldn't like kind of um, compromise this this feeling that the, that the team and the fans still seem to have at the moment. I, like I do think a big defeat might might give that you know might test that a little bit. But I, I'm going into this game looking more at performance um, than result actually, and that's that's quite a nice position to be in. Yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, I I think also there are some teams that you just match up poorly with, and they're they're a nightmare matchup for us in a lot of ways, and especially yeah. we I, I can't imagine we'll have Tomiyasu back. I mean, Sadio Mane has been an absolute thorn in our side and attacking the the, the Cedric side of the pitch is going to be something to keep an eye on. I, I you know, I thought he was he was beaten a few times in the Leicester game as well, so that's something to keep an eye on. I think absolutely absolutely critical assuming Martinelli starts and I don't I don't know that for sure, but if he does, we have to have threat behind Alexander Arnold. We have mm-hmm. to attack his side. And so while Saka is our best player and Odegaard drifts to that side and we create a lot of havoc on that side, finding ways to get the ball to Martinelli to attack the, the Alexander-Arnold side I think is going to be absolutely crucial. I, I will say this. If you had told me in December we were going to make a run at top four, the run of games that just ended would have been the one I pointed to and would have said we're going to need to pick up a lot of points there. And guess what? We picked up a lot of of points on this run. The Burnley draw, really the only exception to what has been a stunning run of results. But we have 12 games left now, and I don't think it is an exaggeration to say there are only two, Leeds at home and Everton at home, that I'd regard as, quote-unquote, easy. I don't think there's anything easy in the Premier League. But even the games you'd say are sort of, I mean, what are the easy games in this run through the rest of the season? Southampton away, Palace away, Newcastle away, West Ham Ham away. away. yeah. 
I mean, I guess Brighton at home. Brighton are in a, a not a great run of form lately, and so maybe you can throw that into the Everton Leeds bucket. But like all the teams we play that you'd favor us against, really, we play away. I mean, the only hope we can have is that maybe like Newcastle don't need points on May the fifteenth when we travel there. Um, mm-hmm. And even still, you know, there's there's going to be a challenge there. And like the Spurs game and the Chelsea game aren't even on the calendar yet, and that can complicate things. So it is. It is the case that we put ourselves in this position with the good run when we needed it, but now we get into the hard one, and I think it's it's crucial that we don't let the Liverpool game become a block, and I, I don't see that happening. Clive, I, I do wonder how you think we approach the game, though, as a final thought. Like, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's a unicorn. He leads the, the league in, in assists and an expected assist by quite a good margin, but defensively, he's weak and he can be got at, and that side is their vulnerability, in my view, Whoever starts there, I think, has to have some joy there. But I'm I'm curious if you think we see a difference in approach or we just go play our game and how we could get something if we're going to get something. Yeah, I think we should play our game, but be even more aggressive at doing it. Um, I do worry about the their right-back to our right-back switch. <laughs> I think that's a major issue for us. Um, I, but so you know what? The fact we got Cedric there, let's attack him. Let's really get on the front foot and, and attack them. I think that's the only way. West Ham did it, and, and I think West Ham beat them. Just attack them, attack them, attack them. Because if you sit in and sit off, they will get you in the end. Uh, I don't. I think they are an excellent side. Uh, every time I almost, if you go back and listen to all the podcasts pre Liverpool game, I think I'm paying me apart from one I said we'd beat them. <laughs> I said every time the game comes, I say, "What are you idiot?" But I do think. We cannot be in a better place than this, right? So why should we all get tense? You know, um, I didn't go Sunday, but I will be going Wednesday. And every time I go to the Emirates, there's just a wonderful feeling there. And the players are reacting to it. If we're going to beat them, this is it. This is the time. Be aggressive. Play our game. They're going to be watching us, I said yesterday. They're going to be clamping onto Odegaard. They're going to be trying to get to Saka. They're going to be trying to get to all these people. I think we have more weapons now. I think in the league game, they got to Lacazette quite quickly. And Odegaard wasn't in the same form. We couldn't connect. We were in, I think, in one of the other games, um, Abama Young played. Uh, I think um, Nuno played and then came out and got caught in a square pass. Um, they're going to be. They're going to be all over us, right? But I think we've got more weapons in form, and so they can't quite get to us. I think when we played them in the Carabao game, Tommy Asley wasn't fit, and they did pick on that side. It'd be interesting to see what we do at, at right back. That's the bit that's worrying me a touch, a touch. But in the end, I've taken that worry away by just saying, how about we just let Cedric go, make him attack and really push them back? really be aggressive in what we do and, and play a game which suits Cedric, which is in the other person's half. So I think what we saw in the second half is the key. Territory, possession, directness, really getting in behind them, spinning it in behind, pressing forward, playing in their half and play a game which they have been serving up to Europe for the last three or four years, right? Just do a little bit of what they do. And I think we've got more players in form to really attack this game. And if we don't win... The most important thing, like at the end of the City game, is that everyone's together still because it doesn't mean the target's gone. And so that's where my head is at the moment. We're a little unlucky because ordinarily they would have had United at the weekend and they might have had an eye on that game. But as it turns out, they're going to have Forrest in the Cup, which 
you know, they're not going to be thinking about when they travel to the Emirates. I do think that the the atmosphere at the Emirates right now is such that I think it does create an edge that maybe hasn't been there in past seasons. Um, it will be really, really up for it. It's it's a hard game. It's a hard game. They are they are absolutely sensational. And even without Salah, you know, they have so so many players that that can hurt you in one on ones. I think a critical critical component of what we do is we have to win second balls because interestingly, Liverpool will go long. They win the second ball and then they get it quickly to Mane in space or Jota in space or whoever it is. And we, we cannot let that happen. So I'll be curious to see if Arteta is inclined to just let Shaka get a little closer to, to party. You know, if he, if he wants to play him there and I'll also be curious to see how Klopp tries to, attack. you know, one of the fun things about this too is look, th- we're being measured against the best here. We think we have a new system that can win us some big, big silverware down the line. So I'll be curious to see how Klopp tries to find the holes in it, tries to find the weaknesses in it. This is a stress test, right? I mean, ultimately, Tim, that's one of the cool things. We think we've found a system that can be the future, that can lead us to, you know what Liverpool has achieved? European glory, domestic glory. It's going to get stress tested in this game. And sometimes those tests are a good way to understand what you're going to have to fix for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, we've said it a million times, but Liverpool are, are the example to us, right, in terms of how you become competitive. And they went on this journey as well. Like I, I remember them getting walloped 5-0, <clears throat> excuse me, by Man City mm-hmm. um, that time. I think they had Mane sent off but uh, and they got absolutely thumped 5-0. And, and I think Jurgen Klopp not quite shrugged it off, but he said something about, I can't come here and just put 10 behind the ball and hope to win the lottery. I think that was his uh, his his kind of line was, yeah, you can play Man City and you can retreat into your shell and you can put 10 behind the ball and that probably works once every, like, like every team does that, right? And what happens, like, maybe one or two, it, like every year, get something by doing It's always that. Spurs for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah. And so, and, and he, he was uh, like, I think he saw that as, as part of their journey, you know, and look, we've, we've taken a couple of shoeings off of Liverpool, but I felt differently about the one at Anfield this season compared to, yeah. do you remember in this fixture last season, we lost three nil to Liverpool and we didn't get out of our half and it was just, it, it was one of those games that really started to make me think, oh God, is, is this manager the one? Because like this, this really like... Didn't we have a phenomenal first half against them in the reverse fixture this, I mean the the away fixture to start this season? Um, maybe, but I'm thinking of the home fixture last yeah, season. Yeah, last that was dreadful, yes. When we dreadful. lost 3-0 and you yeah. look at the average position maps and like, you know, Lacazette, was and and like ever not just Lacazette ever like Abamyang was basically like by the corner flag. Mm-hmm. Lacazette was probably where Ben White was in the average position map for this Saturday. It was just it it was a really really low dreadful result. And I and like I I just don't see that happening. Even if we lose three nil, I don't see that happening. If if you know what did, I mean. Did you, so, did you go to Anfield this year? Too? I can't remember if you went or not. Did uh, you no, I didn't. No, okay. no. I just rewatched a bit of that earlier, and we were in that game. Remember the first goal to set piece, and, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. felt it. They just had a bit of pressure, and there was a little Arteta incident, and then they got a set piece and goal. And I remember thinking, you know what, you, you just about deserved that. And then we then we made a mistake thereafter. Up until that point, I felt we were okay, and that was away at Anfield. And that's the one yeah. where we were playing well. We had a good half, and then if I remember correctly, second half Samby kind of fell apart. 
right? Yeah, gave yeah, the ball yeah. away a couple times. The, and, the yeah. kind of the, the whole narrative after the game was basically that nothing was happening, and Klopp engineered this touchline yeah. argument to get, which, which I think, which I think is really far fetched. I think the argument happened, and it might have had an impact, but it's all about you know what it's like when you win. It's like oh, Klopp engineered this to get the crowd going. It's like, it's like how they used no, to talk about didn't. Mourinho as a genius. Just yeah, it's like well, if he wanted to do that, he'd have just turned around to the crowd and cheated them up. He wouldn't have like engineered this weird situation but yeah it could and but the reason people said that was because for the first half hour nothing was happening for we the were fine so. weren't we? we yeah, were absolutely yeah. fine and i'm thinking i think we had a an offside goal that bam yang laid across to lacazette i think it was and and i remember thinking actually i wasn't watching it because my son was talking to me about it i think i was at the rugby england south africa that was it and basically i remember thinking we got a chance here and suddenly they've scored do you know what I mean? And I remember that feeling of parity for a period. Now we've got the crowd this week. So let's see. I really, I'm, I know I say it every time, and I know you're going to embarrass me when we get smashed. But I've got, I've got a feeling we're going we're gonna to do something. I really do. Well, it's now or never, mate. There's, there's certainly not going to be many situations you can go into to play the best team feeling about as good. I mean, we are the form team in the league, and we're riding a high. They are obviously playing very well and riding their own high. They won't be with, I think, arguably their best player, even though they have players, you know, people are shrugging off the, the Salah. Is Salah out, is he? Is he out? Yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah. Well, Josh is not, and he's the one that hurts us, right? So, Well, and Mane hurts us, right? I get he it. Was rested. Um, he was rested for this game. So, But but the moral of the story is like, look, they can still hurt you. I, ju- I just think with the crowd, with the way we're playing, it's a good measuring stick. And oh, by the way, if it doesn't go the way we need it to, I don't think it loses you any of the goodwill of the run we've been on. So it's, it is, a, again, people hate the word free hit. I'm not saying it's a free hit. There's no such thing as that. You need to go try to get points. But I don't think there's a scenario where the good feeling is lost based on how this goes. So we'll just have to see how that goes. We will have some kind of Patreon pod tomorrow of some variety, maybe a rewatch. Just depends what we can sneak in. Obviously, have the instant reaction uh, after the Liverpool game and a regular pod the rest of the week and so on and so forth. So that'll do it for now. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberta. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Weird woohoo from you there, Paul. That's fine, though. I'll just assume it's, <laughs> it's just uh, something going on in your life. Whatever. Puberty. Who knows? In any event, uh, well, here we go. Big game. Chance to measure up. We'll see how it goes. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Liverpool now. Liverpool now.